Today's episode is brought to you by Shenanigan Loopholes. When things aren't going your way, call for a loophole. Our trained Shenanigan experts will find every way for you to avoid the consequences you justly deserve. Skill restrictions, we've got a loophole. Out of health, there are loopholes to keep you alive. There is no game we can't enact Shenanigans in. That's Shenanigan Loopholes, available in any genre. Shenanigan Loopholes, not responsible for breakdown of friendships due to the use of our products. This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. And welcome to the 490th episode of the Misdirected Mark Podcast. Tonight we discuss clocks and fronts in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. I'm Chris. And I am Old Man Logan. Welcome to the shoe. Hey, man. Episode 500 is coming. Yeah. Screaming towards us headlong. Episode 500 is coming. By the way, if you would like to be a part of episode 500 and you're part of our Slack channel, you can just, I'll have a message in there and that you can reply to and we'll work out a way to get you on the show, which we'll be doing some tests of that in the coming uh, weeks on Tuesday evenings at uh, between like seven and 10. So if you are interested in coming on and talking to us uh, through a Zoom call, this is not going to be a live show, but we will be here to chat with you if you want to come talk to us about your experience with misdirected mark over the course of a decade feel free to do so do we have any other announcements that's it man that's the, that's the big thing i mean we have some other things to do like to talk about but we'll talk about them at 500 yeah yeah, yeah post 500 is what we post 500 is going to be very different mm-hmm. it's called mm plays there's a post on the patreon the slack room has heard all about it it'll be a it's not an actual play series it's just sort of it's it's like somewhere in between Actual play and what we normally do. Is it MM mm-hmm. plays or is it mm plays? Mm plays. And you can say whatever way you want. I'll mm, just leave it to plays. your interpretation. Mm, plays. Mm, plays. Give a hands this thing up. Some blue. <laughs> I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Mm bop. Is that what it was? Mm bop. Was it mm bop? How did you make it through the 90s and not know like. Mm. I didn't know what you guys were talking about. Like the, the parody that you were doing did not click in my head. Okay. I know the tune. Obviously, right, I just, obvious. I was going to say. I just sang it. I was going to say it's impossible <laughs> to escape the 90s yes. without having imprinted that song on you. All right. Are we, are we done with this? We need it. Are, 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 are you done? You know, we are don't have. Done? We don't have the garage bumper, which Aww. is a mistake. Aww. That's okay. I'll put it in later. It's push the keypad. Our, our garage our garage was not our garage was way our garage is way more sophisticated than yeah it's way high tech yeah it, did. Okay. it was just an electronic keypad yeah access granted garage clocks and fronts we're here yes as we close in on episode 500 i picked tonight's topic for two reasons uh the first is i think that clocks are a super cool mechanic uh-huh. uh, and they're usable in a ton of games whether yeah. your game has clocks in it or not <laughs> Uh, the second is that this is a garage episode, uh, which was actually my contribution to the house misdirected. I created the garage as a place where we could talk about game mechanics because it was something that Chris and I did before I was a host on the show. When we used to just hang out, we would talk about game mechanics. I love talking about game mechanics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to translate that into something we could do on the show. So we created a new ho- a new room in the house, which was the garage, because that's where mechanics hang out in the garage. In the garage. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of when we wrote this original episode, harken back to the year 2016 when we were deep into playing PBTA games. Like we were all up in PBTA games. It would actually be another year before Blades in the Dark was released. I'm pretty sure Blades in the Dark was a 2017 release. So all of our talk about clocks in this episode predates Blades. Why have we been doing this for so long? Right. That was like six years because ago. Because reasons. Yeah. And that's not and that's not even like early on. 
like that's mid MMP. That's mid MMP, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So tonight we are going to revisit. So this is a Redux episode. We're going to revisit the Clocks and Fronts episode and pull in everything we learned from Forged in the Dark games uh, as well, because we have learned a lot more about Clocks since that game. So came out. much more. So so much more. Yeah. All right. Since Phil just did a whole bunch of talking, we're going to let Chris and Jerry do the definitions. But first, we still need to play the kick-ass bumper. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. All right, let's talk about how they work. So first thing, countdown clock. A countdown clock is an in-game timer that is tracking time passing towards some event, often represented by a circle with some number of ticks or wedges. Players may be aware of this clock or not. The second thing we're going to talk about are fronts. These come from Apocalypse World. A front is a set of linked threats. Threats are people, places, and conditions that, because of where they are and what they're doing, inevitably threaten the player's characters. So, a front is all the individual threats that arise from a single given threatening situation. Yeah, we know which one of these, like, carried further in terms of overall game design. Well, countdown clocks, because they're a thing that you can just draw, right? Like, Mm -hmm. fronts are are GM-centric. They don't, players never get to view them. So, of course, the countdown clock is always going to be more prevalent than the front, which is very important too. Yes. So when we talk about this tonight, we are still going to talk about fronts because that's what was in the original episode, but know that clocks are like the thing that really stood the test of time when it comes to uh, game design. Look, all a front is is a fractaled out clock. Yeah, you are not wrong. And I think that clocks are easier to implement in the games that don't already have them. Mm. Sure. Yeah, Mm. I don't, I mean, I use fronts all the time, so I don't know. I use clocks everywhere. I love clocks. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just haven't thought about it because I use fronts. I'm using fronts for forever. So games that use them when it comes to clocks, since we've refreshed this episode, Blades in the Dark, man. <laughs> That's a good pun. Blades in the Dark. Refresh. Blades uses progress clocks. Um, they are represented by a circle divided into a number of segments. There are four, six, and eight segment clocks representing the complexity of the complexity of a problem or how long until something manifests, right? Bazzle, so bad the sick of your shit, right? So a four, a four uh, tick clock actually will go faster than an eight tick clock. I think that just makes that, mm-hmm. that makes sense. So the game employs clocks for damn near everything. Danger, racing, linked clocks, mission, tug of war, long term projects and faction clocks are all part of the game. Stress, too. Yes. Thank you. Stress as well. All clocks have basically the same function, right? There's something at stake. That is set for the completion of the clock. The GM signs a number of segments. The result, the effect of various action rolls will fill in a number of ticks into the clock. When the clock is filled, that stake becomes manifest. How does it fit into the overall frame of the game? So Forged in the Dark games um, are always about impending trouble. And clocks are a great way to model impending trouble. Bazo is sick of your shit. Yeah, that's my example, right? Mm-hmm. From... Um, We've been using this example for seven years. I have six years for newer people, for newer people who don't know the example. When I was running uh, blades in the dark in the opening adventure, Tony's character was messing with the head of one of the crime families, Bazo Baz, and was trying to negotiate up the cost for a job. Like you guys were nobodies and Tony's like trying to squeeze them for more money. (laughs) And I was like, cool, make a roll. And Tony failed the roll. And I was like, cool, I'm making a clock that's called Bazo Baz is sick of your shit. Six ticks. And I'm filling in two of them right now. <laughs> and when this clock fills up, Bazo Baz is going to get rid of you. Uh, and eventually it filled up. Like, I'm pretty sure that at some point. It came to a head, yeah. At some point, he put a hit out on Tony because he was just sick of Tony's shit. 
And for the rest of the campaign, that card stayed out on the table. And from time to time, like if he was messing with their crew or whatever, I would just reach over and color in another tick. Like, it's going to happen, Tony. So was the resolution that Bazo Baz got Tony or did Tony eventually do away with Bazo Baz? I think, if I remember correctly, he took a shot at Tony. Tony survived it. But then I think that gang got like fucked up. Like something happened to that gang and a bunch of... Um, I think we orchestrated a three-way between uh, us and two other gangs. <laughs> I know. I did that on purpose. It's okay in a three-way. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Very purposeful reasoning. Behind. Look, okay. We, we used the example of Bazo Bazo yes. singing your shit. Like, that was a long-term clock. There yeah. are short-term clocks. When, uh, when we used to play um, Scum and Villainy, a lot of the opponents that the, the guys would fight had clocks as their health pools. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. the clock was filled up, they had won the one, they had defeated those, those people or won the encounter, stole the thing, made their way through whatever situation they were making their way through. Clocks are like infinitely usable. Clocks mm-hmm. are so infinitely usable that I, to this day, have an indelible mark on uh, Blades in the Dark. I made a set of PDFs a while ago of Blades in the Dark clock cards that has the Blades guy, you know, the guy from the, you know, you know the guy, like, they use it on the cover of the book. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So I have that faded in the background and I have the clocks and I put them up on Google Drive. And I still, to this day, every now and then, will get a request for somebody asking to share those files on Google Drive and just, you know, click it and let people take them. But I had them laminated and, you know, could write on a marker and then fill them in and throw them on the table, pick them up, clean them off, that kind of thing. I used to use your PDF cards. Like I used to just cut the clocks out of them and put them on roll 20 for our games. Oh, yeah, that's good. And I would fill them in. Yeah. Nice. Neat. Cool. That's how I kept track of the long-term projects, too. Yeah. All right. What's the next one, Chris? Fronts from Dungeon World. Pick a game that has fronts. Fronts are just giant clocks, okay? So there are there are two types of fronts originally. There are campaign or adventure fronts. Now, the idea was is that you create two or three dangers. Now, these dangers were things that wanted to do something to cause trouble or make things, changes to the setting. And that's essentially what they were. They were clocks to make changes to the setting. Same deal as, as what we've just stated already. There is a stake. They're trying to get to it, and then they're going to do a thing. Um, you choose an impending doom for each danger. When they get through their clock, that thing happens. That's what it is. Those are the stakes. They was a clever name for stakes, essentially. And then the manifesting of the stakes, which you already said before, that's the thing that changes the world in a significant way, usually for the worse. Now, for importance, usually you get one to three for an adventure front pack and they are three to five for a campaign front. Those were the things that would happen along the way that would warn the player characters that these things were about to happen so that the player characters would have an option to take action against them. This is a cool way to have a living world where like, look, there is stuff happening in the background. If you don't go deal with it, it's probably going to manifest and do something terrible. That was fun. I actually thought that was a great Mm -hmm. idea back in the day when I like originally realized I'm like, oh, look, that's that's neat. Like this is a way to not just have linear storytelling, right? I I thought you utilized them wonderfully when we played um, the RE Peaks. Constantly, Mm -hmm. constantly use them. Then you write some stake questions. That way uh, you have a way to play to find out what happens. Like, what will happen if they don't deal with this? And then write the answer. These are not for the players. These are for you as a game master. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you get to list the general cast of the front. These are basically the faction or the elements that help you play to find out what happens. They are, they're the pieces that you can utilize to play the game. For instance, when we were playing in the Alvar campaign for our D&D game, I used a front. It was Tanneril. Tanneril was slowly taking over the dwarf people. Uh, turning them into soldiers, these onyx-skinned soldiers through mind control, and then, you know, changing them, polymorphing them, essentially, and with these these, these onyx skins. Then he was starting to take over the, the Tifling people, and then he was going to go after the Deep Gnomes and basically expand his empire. And if they didn't go and deal with it, that would have happened. I had fronts written. If they didn't go out there to deal with it, there was a thing that said Alvar Falls. And Alvar would have fallen. And Bob's people would have all been mostly dead, except for, like, his little sister, who would have gotten away and then came to find him. 
So uh, how does this stuff tie into the theme of the game? Well, as we just discussed, I just gave you an example for how to use this in D&D. This stuff is universal. It's not any different from either like any Powered by the Apocalypse game. It's just an ideology. You just skin it for different stuff. Anybody else have any fronts or things like that they've ever used in their games that they want to talk about? No? Yes, maybe? I definitely had them for PBTA games. I'm trying to remember some of them off the top of my head, but... Uh, what I what the thing that I remember that I really liked is the grim portents. I really like the here are the signs that the shit is escalating. Yes, because they're one fun to write, and two, it's kind of cool in a PBTA game. Because in Dungeon World, if I remember correctly, you brought one of those out during a hard move. You could, thing. yeah, you yeah. could, or you could just if it or was an adventure one. Yes, it was either hard move or you just made it happen when time. Well, time advancing was a way to make a move in uh, dangerous space jail. There's essentially a front that the two bad guys are going to escape. Yes. And there's a whole bunch of grim portents as the clock starts wearing down. So weird that we, we call them grim portents, but really they're just signifiers. Sure. Like these are events that occur that let you know bad stuff is happening. Sure. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun, sexy It game. is a fun, sexy mm-hmm. game. But you know, like, oh, the, you know, the whole building shakes or le- like strange noises, whatever. But they're great because when they happen, players are like, oh shit, it snaps them too. Suddenly the sky turns like an eerie purple in like to the West. And you're like, Oh fuck that thing. We didn't take care of. Like we definitely didn't take care of that. <laughs> so in my D and D game, the grim portents were all the letters that um, Bob's character's sister was sending him. <gasps> Everything's good. Everything's okay. Uh, things are weird. Uh, things are getting worse. Things are bad. <laughs> that was people pretty... are disappearing. Yeah. Mostly it's okay. Mostly. Mostly. They mostly come at night. <laughs> mostly. There was some of that going on with the chimera stuff too. Mm-hmm. more and more weird stuff just kept showing up mm-hmm. so yeah. they're like why is this stuff all strange and out of whack right like you could go deal with it they haven't dealt with it yet they might at some point anyways let's talk about clocks uh, time okay. tests and cortex so uh, clocks are basically a test that's a race against time the test has a number of beats until the stakes are realized and when you make a test it determines the number of beats that are used if you make a test and you fail like Gree does all the time uh, you use up two beats if you succeed you only use up one beat and if you get a heroic success, the equivalent of a critical hit, then you not only succeed, but you also use no beats to uh, accomplish that. And this ties to the theme of the game because Cortex is a heroic game, and there are times when the heroes are racing against the clock to achieve a particular goal. For example, most of the disasters that we deal with are on a set of clocks. The Fire mm-hmm. Cane of Kiersum. Man, the I love of this mechanic. I, yes. lo- I love the mechanic in, in Cortex Plus. It works so well. Once you define, like, oh, this is a time test of this many beats, go. One of the advantages is that Doing it that way means that the players don't have to necessarily do exactly what the GM tells them to. The players will say, I'm going to attempt to do X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And if I succeed, I get closer to the success. But if I fail at what I'm trying to do, then it advances the clock because we use more time. And sometimes you can do something that might appear ineffectual, but the fact that you didn't use any time up still means that you might be helping somebody else or move the story forward. It leaves space to build assets in the game mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. having to like directly affect the problem which i think is important and normally what i do when i set up these time tests is i will say something like these are the problems you need to solve mm-hmm. this is a time test of this many ticks and sometimes i actually put those signifiers those grim portents into like i will list like oh the fire cane is now 100 miles from shore at only two ticks left the fire cane has reached the shoreline i will put those in so that narratively as you are ticking, like as we're going through the ticks, certain things then start to appear. And the advantage of that is that I think that the clock method allows for both a mechanical set of rules, 
but also allow for a lot of storytelling intermingled in there so that you get a lot of role playing out of clocks when you're using them. The thing is, it doesn't advance until you roll. So if suddenly you decide to have a dramatic discussion mm-hmm. in the middle of whatever's like as the fire cane's approaching, it's cool. That advancement thing pauses. You can have your cool dramatic moment between characters, a discussion, whatever, until somebody picks up the dice and rolls something, it sits and waits. And so it's really good for that thing that Chris loves, which is like blending this like impending doom, but also mixing in something like there's a deep discussion between two characters about trust or intimacy or whatever, while the fire cane is barreling down and it still fits and works and you haven't lost the mechanical tension but you still have the breathing room to be like, oh, all we, you know, you avoid the thing where it's like, oh, the only thing we can do is solve this problem right now. In my opinion, it leads towards a more cinematic feel mm-hmm. for your time to test because you see that all the time, and especially in disaster movies, where you'll have all this shit's going on, but you still have these dense character moments where they're, you know, they're having this, this deep interaction and this stuff is still going on, but it's not actually impacting the impending thing. Flash, Flash, I love you, but we only have 14 hours to save the Earth. <laughs> Flash. Uh. <laughs> this movie sucked real bad. Let's move on to breaking them down. Phil, tell me about breaking them down. Breaking them down. All right, clocks. Let's do clocks. Clocks come in two forms. Internally. When they're internal, they are an organization tool for the GM. Internal meeting the screen, not inside the GM. But they are an organizational tool for the GM, allowing the GM to keep track of the progress of an event. I ain't going to tell you where, where to tattoo yourself. Yeah, it's fine. If you want to tattoo a clock to yourself... That is badass. Let me just tell you, if you are tongue, so it's internal. Let me tell you, if you are blades, if you are a blades GM and you have just tattooed a clock inside your arm that you can like tick off, that you are a badass GM. Sure, there you go. Okay, Um, but you don't have to show them that. It just means that sometimes a GM can just on paper keep track of a clock of like shit that's going down. Or externally, you can put the clock out on the table, which is what you're supposed to do in blades to um, create additional tension. Can you feel the tension? By the way, this is also the countdown time. Yep. The countdown die. The countdown die is also an external clock. Okay, features of clocks. Clocks are tied to an event. So when the clock is full, it does something in the game. Clocks have a start and a finish. They're empty, they're full. They advance in some increment. There is some mechanic that drives how many wedges get filled or how many ticks get ticked or unticked, right? Because there's also the possibility in some clocks, not all clocks, that you can reverse the clock. And clocks can sometimes be halted, either permanently or temporarily. That's pretty much the basis of a clock. This is why you can adapt them to your game. Like you only have to answer each one of those bullet points, did right? You, did you talk about how they can be advanced in some increment? I don't know if I, I must I have said they, they, mm-hmm. they're advanced in some increment based yeah. on the mechanics of your game, um, but could be narrative. Or procedural. Or procedural. I mean, mechanical is procedural, but you know, some nope, people I'm don't think you. of those two things as the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like you can have a thing where just narratively you tick a clock. Like that's my big die thing where sometimes they just turn, you know. Also, big... you guys wasted a bunch of time procedurally. I'm going to. Click this thing or mm-hmm. narratively you did X. I'm going to tick this thing or mechanically you failed this role. I'm going to tick this thing. I can't think of any other other reasons. Anybody else yeah, got one? Fine. Okay, cool. I was going to mention one other game that actually um, has a bunch of clocks in it that comes from the PBTA space that also predates blades, which was headspace. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That game was built yep. around that idea. Headspace had a whole bunch of clocks. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Anyway, that's clocks. They're pretty straightforward. Well, fronts. Yep. Fronts are mostly internal. They are a GM tool. I've already kind of like beat this pretty hard. So uh, that's awkward. Anyways, they have a stake that comes true if the front is realized. It then has a few dangers that are associated with the stake. Each danger has a few events that are leading up to the danger being realized. Through play, the GM is going to decide when to advance through these events, which can lead to the dangers being realized and finally the stake being realized. Now, now, you can just attach a clock to these fronts and then it's not on the GM 
it can be mechanical at that point. Mm-hmm. That's headspace, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's how headspace actually functions. Runs, I, yeah, that, yeah, fronts can be mechanically driven. I just said that. So there you go. But it's uh, sometimes it, it's either way. I, I used to I used to believe that it could be mostly narratively, but really it's both. Like you should probably it's procedurally, narratively, mechanically. They all kind of work together these days. That's all I have to say about that. Bob, why don't you tell us about another show on Misdirected Mark Productions? Sure. You need to check out Bonus Experience. Ray and Monica are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. We try to compete, but we just can't. <laughs> no, we try I mean, so hard. In terms of dumb humor? Yeah. can only do so much. So, Jerry, what play experience do clocks and fronts create? Well, first of all, clocks and fronts are both countdown mechanisms. They both represent a progression towards some event. They share some of the same characteristics, which is why we're talking about both tonight. Both of them are there to create tension for the players. Totally. Mm-hmm. They're not a character tool, but they operate on player and game foci together. Man, that's a that's a, that's old school talk that is, right that there. Is very old that school is talk. primo misdirected mark. That's some layers of gaming. Oh, that's, that's isn't right? that next week? Yes. I think that's yeah. next week. Yes, they do. Mm. Uh, the thing is that in most cases, the characters are unaware of the clock or front, though they may see in sign games of the clock's advancement. For example, the her, the fire cane. Yeah. Uh-huh. Every time something changed with the fire cane, as the clock counted down, the fire cane got worse. So for people, again, for newer listeners that may not may not have been beaten to death with our layers concept, which you'll get to hear all next week. This idea is that clocks affect players like it can affect characters. But really what you're doing is you're affecting players that bleeds into characters. Clocks affect setting. Yes. No, but what I'm saying is when you take a clock, when I, I take a, when I take the clock yes, down because, to the last because tick, fronts affect setting. Sure. And then events affect setting and players. That's the last thing. Yeah. And characters. Right. What I'm saying is it's not your characters who see a seven ticks on an eight tick clock Correct. on the table. It's the players who see it. The characters will react based on how the players are feeling mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. One of the ways you can create drama is to create those feelings in players and let it bleed through to their characters. Yeah. I just think there's a deeper thing to it because while the clock itself on the table affects the player in the game, Fokai, if it's a front, which is just a larger clock, and you have grim portents and events that occur from the clock ticking down, then that also affects the setting. So there's yeah. another oh, level. To absolutely. It. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I want to throw that out there so that we didn't get anybody telling us like, but what you said before, what well, what you said was <laughs> was the the X thing, and then but 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 go ahead. I think clocks are also a good way to get that emotional investment in the situation in a way of tension. That we've talked a couple times about the fact that like it's not easy to create a game that has horror or fear in it or something a clock on the table is going to elicit some of the similar emotions in a game that the players that you want the players to feel in a horror-based game or a, or a thriller-based game a clock will do a good job of reeling them in 10 candles yes 10 candles there you go the ten, jenga tower the jenga tower is a clock. Yes. the jenga tower is a hundred percent a clock <laughs> yeah. yes that motherfucker is gonna fall you just don't know when mm-hmm. and does it create tension Fuck yes, it does. That is actually a clock without a set number yeah. Yeah. of ticks. Oh, it's a set number. It's not a number you are aware of. <laughs> like, there is a certain... Isn't, isn't that the definition of not a set number? No, I mean, there's it's a, a finite... Ran, it's a random number? It is a random number, yeah. and it is a finite number. There is a finite number of pulls. Mathematically, it probably can be figured out. Sure. But also, if you make bad pulls... I'm, I'm with you, Bob. It's it's There's... It's not. It's not a set it's not number. It, it's a random number within a set. It is an unknown. The important. Quantity. The important part is that it is an unknown yeah. quantity yeah. because if you know how many ticks are on a clock, you know when not to panic, when to be concerned, and when to be really concerned. With the Jenga tower, 
You can't read the tower like you can read a clock. So in the beginning, you're like, yeah, it's probably okay. But the truth is one bad pull and everything might go from this tower is really stable to this tower is really shaky very quickly. Or you play with a bunch of people who are actually pretty good at Jenga. This tower is probably going to last for a little bit. By the way, games that use the Jenga tower are Dread and Starcrossed. And I'm yes. sure there's others. There's a there's a one that's based on Inception that I can't remember the name of. It's called Lucid. That's what it's called. Or if you have to be playing at a convention where they have long tablecloths all over the place. And you, go to, <laughs> and you go to make your move three minutes into the game and knock the entire tower down. All joking around, clocks are a good way to uh, bring that tension into the game in a finite manner. So if you're a GM and you want to create some tension in the game to create some sense of of threat or some sense of, of need, stakes, as we say, a clock is a very good way to do that in a visual way in front of the players, however you want to use it. Ten candles is a known clock. Correct. It has an extra component to it. The way you play it in the dark, the light level also is a mood adjustment. Yeah, like it enhances Right. Mm-hmm. So it not only counts down, but it's counting down and it's getting darker. It's brilliant in the emotions that it, inf- it inflicts upon the player. For those who don't know what 10 Candles is, it is a game about the apocalypse on Earth and you are trying to survive it, which you won't. You all die at the end. You know that going into it. So every scene you play out until somebody fails a dice roll completely and then you snuff a candle. And then you start a new set of scenes until you snuff another candle. And then you are burning cards and putting them in the, burning index cards and putting them in the thing until at the very end, the last candle goes out because the impending apocalypse has killed everybody. The thing about that game that gets me every time is the opening action. The recording? Yes, you record a you record a voicemail message, and it's the last thing about your characters. You play back the voicemail messages, the last candles go yep, out. As and everything's out. Just fucking like That's brilliant. It's good. It's a good game. So based on the games that they come from, clocks can be intra-session or intersessional tools. So meaning the clock can exist during the session and then it goes away mm-hmm. or it can persist beyond one session. It can persist beyond a story or it can even be like a arc or a whole campaign. Like again, this clock thing is so scalable. Yeah, absolutely. Fronts, which are just larger clocks are mostly intersession tools that are often used to track events in an arc. Oh, look, call back to last week. Fronts represent things that are potential threats to the characters. They have a set of incremental events that lead towards some event that will be manifested when realized. We're just repeating ourselves at this sure. point. We're just, we're good. Mm-hmm. The reason that they came up with the term fronts is because it's the idea of fighting on two fronts from like war. Mm-hmm. That, that was the point of it. Well, this is, and this is a Chris Nizak favorite, right? Like you can solve this problem or you can solve this problem, but not both of these problems in, the, in, in this time period. You know, until they split the party and then sometimes they can solve both of those problems sure. at great cost to themselves. Sure. Uh-huh. But you love, I, but there is nothing you love more than the Batman choice. Yes. Yeah, of course I love the Batman choice. You're going to save them or them? And then yeah, we're going to save everybody. I'm like, all right. I'm this, throw Gwen off the bridge. The stakes are much higher now if you <laughs> I fail. I got a missile going towards Bakersfield. I got a missile going towards LA. <laughs> My mom was in Bakersfield. <laughs> yes. Okay, tell me about the problems that these cause. Yeah, for the most part, clocks don't really cause problems in games. No. Like, when we talk about mechanics that you can just drop into other games, you can pretty much drop these in safely. The only things that you're going to run into is getting the right number of segments. You'll need a feel for this for your own game. If you put too few segments in the clock, it runs too fast and they may not be able to resolve things. Um, If you put too many segments in the clock, it isn't really a threat. And you just really have to learn how to calibrate the right number of segments. And it's going to require some understanding of the mechanics of your game, the way you want to set up how clocks increment and things like that. 
that's the tricky part. You'll have to, and some games don't have this built in, so you have to house rule some stuff. Yeah, we had to actually, in the early, early sessions of Aux, mm-hmm. had to calibrate the time test correctly. Yes. And I have a little formula for it. Like, I have a little formula that I use for figuring out how many ticks should be in a time test that we kind of calibrated because I think it was Chris who brought it up. We were either running too hot or too cold. We were running too hot. They were ticking down too quickly. It needs to be, and I think it's something like the number of checks plus one more check or something. Yeah, because I, th- I think that that was the one where we had like a four tick clock, but there were three things we had to do. And so, which means yeah. we had to super succeed like three times to, to exactly get done. Yeah. Yeah. What I, what I basically look for is it's typically it comes out to the number of ticks is the number of problems you have to solve. So if you're doing, if the problems are in our game, the genius ones where there's two roles, mm-hmm. then if it's like, say there's three problems that have to be solved then that's six. And then I usually add three more ticks to the clock. Makes sense. Like mm-hmm. something like that. That's, I think, I think the I magic, with the math, so. it yeah, was yeah, the magic yeah. number that I came up I'm with. I'm going to agree with you because yes. I think I helped with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, the other problem that sometimes comes up and it's not a huge problem, but it can be a bit in um, forge in the dark is uh, if the table gets full of clocks, all of a sudden you've got like 10 clocks on the table and you're trying to like, manage them you'll create a little it's lag the same thing with aspects yes it's exactly yeah. the same thing or assets yeah yeah if if the table gets clogged up it's just you got to do some extra management let's talk about hacks and wishlists now as far as hacks go you can hack clocks or fronts into any game all you need to do is first define the stakes then establish how many ticks are on your clock which i think phil just explained a good way to look at that uh-huh. and then decide how the ticks advance or retreat based on the mechanics of your game and then how you want to re- represent this at the table itself. You yeah, we just keep repeating ourselves because yeah. we just keep jumping ahead. But it's, well, no, but it's, it's important though, because I think oh, it totally I, is. I, I agree. think to put this together, you'll know, define the stakes, figure out your ticks, how you're going to advance the retreat, and then how to represent them. And probably the hardest thing in that is probably going to be if the game doesn't have clocks already, is what mechanic you want to use to advance or, or retreat them. And I think the cortex as a good guideline is a good way to start. Mm-hmm. Whatever your failure state is, you just advance a clock when somebody fails a roll. And then the better part is when you'd be like, yeah, you succeeded on that. What do you mean? I failed. Yeah, you totally succeeded on that. Let me just scribble in real here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. Now, fronts are going to be very similar. First, you need to know what's the big bad thing that's going to happen. Then number two, what are the dangers surrounding it? And number three, what are the steps that are going to lead up to those dangers themselves? Hey, remember last week when we were talking about arcs and try-fail cycles? Mm-hmm. Clocks are a great way to help with your try-fail cycle because, oh, you you, you you succeeded, but you didn't like roll high enough because you don't know you have complication success with the complication in your game. There's your try-fail with the clock advancing. There you go. Right to the thing that is your uh, middle part where you will either you have your false victory or your false defeat because mm-hmm. that clock can actually help determine your false victory or your false defeat. Just to combine this with an episode from last week, because why not? Mm-hmm. The stuff is all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. Anyway, as for wish lists, um, I, I would love designers to put something like clocks or time tests into every game. I mean, they're pretty much there these it, days. Almost, yeah. But I mean, it's such a great tool in almost every genre. There's almost always a reason to have some sort of countdown chase or race against time. You should just have a generic system in your game that covers that thing because it is useful, universally useful. Do you think we may have gone too far to say that the Jenga Tower is a, is a clock? Jenga Tower is not really a clock. It's not really a clock. It's a, it's ten, it's a tension building tool. It's a tension building tool yeah. for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. The candles in 10 Candles is absolutely a clock. Totally, because it's the length of the game. Jenga Tower is not really a clock because it, uh, it has stakes. It does not have ticks. It has a way to count it down, right, by poles. Correct. eventually wears it down. But if our strictest set of clocks is that it defines a number of ticks before an event, that's the thing that yeah, isn't really true that's about Jenga Towers. Mm-hmm. Uh, my hack 
and I guess this is more of a front than a clock, is using hit points to increase threat level of an enemy, basically by using grim portents as the hit points are reduced. Like, bloodied was a great step towards that. What happened? Do it. How big is my puddle? No. Oh. How do you know this character's... Oh, he drops to one knee, he coughs up some blood. <laughs> what? In our 4E game, I used to do that Bob, Bob would like, if, as soon as something became bloody, he'd like, oh, he starts coughing up some blood, and then we all as players started doing it, like when we got to bloodied, be like, oh, I dropped to one knee, I cough up some blood. There were there were several tropes to my 4E game. That was one of them, and another one was, our, my brothers will avenge me. Yes, my brother, yeah, yeah. We oh, that's me. funny. <laughs> In our Spelljammer game last week, Wednesday, that guy that, that uh, Mickey was fighting, because he got bloodied and he started getting bigger with red energy. Swelling around. And every time oh, yeah. he lost more hit points, he kept getting bigger and bigger. Because I was basically using that as a, uh, a grim portent to a front as he was getting closer and closer to zero hit points. As you approach zero hit points infinitely, you get infinitely bigger. Until you're at zero, then you die. <laughs> there's, some, there's some calculus for you, everybody. Oh, that's I, like the fat boy mod in, uh, yes. in Unreal Tournament. I felt like Bucky in that fight. Looking good, John. <laughs> just that happened. Just basically sat back. He was doing a good job, so I was like, "I'm ready to jump in if he says something." But it was like a fight for honor, yeah. Yeah. so I'm just like sitting on the rock with like I'm sitting on the rock with my mall, like you know hard, looking good. You know how hard it is to pull off a one-on-one -on -one fight in a D and D game. He did great. Thanks. I was like, I was, I, I figured, oh, this is gonna go a few rounds, then he'll signal, and the free for all will begin. And I was like prepared for it. I'm like, it's fine. I'm sitting here like mall ready. Like as soon as the like as soon as it it kicks off, I'm jumping off this rock and I'm smacking the first guy with a maul. And uh, his choice of spells and you know the way he used them, and all of a sudden it's like he goes down, and I'm like, all right, or I'll just sit on a rock for like. <laughs> I know you sometimes worry about that as an aside, but yeah. I was like, hey man, that's the game. You know, I fully expected he needed me, and then he didn't, and well, you know. Just, them's are the breaks. One-on-one D&D &D fights are hard to pull off in a satisfying way, but you know, you just have to vary up how you attack. And that game went down to hit point to hit point. Yeah, because he was at zero, but he had, he had an um, ability that let him like survive after zero and then whacked him one more time. It was pretty it good. took him out. It was, it was, it was a, it was a exciting fight. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Nice nail biter. Uh, all right. Bob, what about you? Yeah, so I'm with Phil. Uh, more clocks all the time. More! If you don't have them in your game yet, build them into your game. If you're sitting there designing a game right now, put clocks in it. <laughs> clocks become your chase mechanic. Mm -hmm. and chase mechanics are hard. That, it's so. your chase mechanic. It's your before the next crime mechanic. It, like, it, it's all of those. So many things. So many of those things. It's before your ritual goes off mechanic. All of the things. Jerry. My thing was I'd like to see more game designers implement clocks into games, but also explain how, when, and why to use them. Mm -hmm. So there's some guidelines for, for GMs I think that number one, I think a lot of GMs could use the guidance. Number two, I think that if game designers do that, they're going to be explaining the uh, desires of what their game should be doing, the intent of their game and the way the game play yeah. should be going. And also will lead certain game designers to tell the players what kind of game they want to, sh what they want to show. And I think it's all really good. Cause I think it's a good usable tool. All right. Let's talk about reflection. Six years later, six years later, six years. I got a couple things to say. One clocks. I use them all the time. They're just, they're part of my game, regardless of system. And I modify them, iterate on the design just to come up with interesting, clever new ways for myself to be entertained by them. But you know, the basic clock is, is just their fronts too. like fronts constantly used. And I talk a big game about like storytelling these days, like how to implement like more story, like writer movie script writing styled storytelling into games but really you could if you just put together some fronts and just keep pushing on them 
you're going to have enough tension and storytelling push that you don't even need to do any of that other stuff that I talked about. I mean, it's all good stuff, but if you just do that stuff, like you're going to have a pretty compelling game for the most yeah. part, because then you'll have setup, tension and release. That is the secret of life, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I walked into that one. Yes, you did. Oh, yeah, you did. man. <laughs> all right, Bob, go ahead. Yeah. So as a player, I love visible clocks. The first time a clock hit the table when I was a player, I was like, oh, what is going on here? I'm very tense all of a sudden. <laughs> like, there's a thing that's saying something is about to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Dude, that fucking big die on the table? It's oh. like, huh. Hmm. Why that. is it at two? What happens when it gets to one? That's bad. I love yeah. the big die. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that sense of urgency that gets created by that visible clock coming out is, is like, chef's kiss. It's even more fun when, you, when they put the big die on the table, they don't start it at six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Three. <laughs> then you do something good. It goes to four. <laughs> they do something bad. It goes back to three. Then it's like a game changer thing where you have to figure out what's the, what, what, like, what, is, what the, is he doing? What is the secret? Why is this thing moving? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know the rules. Learn, figure out the rules yourself. <laughs> That's right. In order to figure out the rules, you got to play the game. You're breaking my boss. You're breaking my boss. Jerry. <laughs> I just like clocks as a player and as a GM. I think they've become a great way to change story beats to increase uh, or relieve tension in the game. And they've been a great replacement for chase mechanics i've seen so many different ways people have tried to implement chase mechanics i've seen games that have three or four pages of rules on chase mechanics and i'm going to realize that a simple clock can replace all those rules very quickly and make things very easy and especially in games that don't have chase mechanics where suddenly something happens as a good chase can often be a lot of fun in a game and change the, the the beat of the story up real quick they can be used for lots of things but i think just replacing your chase mechanics with a clock makes things work so much easier yeah they really are good they really are good for chases uh-huh phil I echo a lot of things you guys say, right? I still like clocks. I certainly, after Blades in the Dark came out, used them more. And at some level, I always, I still use clocks. And of course, we talked about Cortex. I thought I would use fronts more when, like, back when we wrote this. Like, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to use fronts forever. I didn't. Like, just in, <laughs> re did. in retrospect, like, I, I, I didn't. And it's not that there's anything wrong with them. Just somehow didn't use them. I wonder if that's 100% true. Now, you don't call them fronts, but your What's Going On document is essentially a front. Because it's what will happen. Yeah, you're not wrong, right? Like the what's going on document often says, like, if nobody intervenes, this you're, is what's going to happen. You're not consciously thinking of them as fronts, but you probably just, have. Multiple so then I should basically then I think the better thing to say is I stopped using the structure. Yeah. But I don't think I lost the concept. Correct. There you go. Yeah, like I definitely don't write down like the signs and stuff, but I do, for my own internal logic, have like okay, well, if no one intervenes, this is what happens, That's which is totally. essentially. Correct. As soon as you start writing that stuff down, which because I don't write them down very much anywhere either, then you lock yourself into something and you can't be flexible. That's yeah. why I stopped writing them down. But that's why I'm always re-examining like, okay, what are the bad guys going to do? What are the antagonists going to yeah. do to react to what just happened if they have to react to anything? Or this, is it just business as usual? Yeah, I mean, sometimes if the players are exceedingly good, nothing happens. Our NBA game had this really, um, the vampire mid is a form of front, right? Yep. And for a while, my vampire mid hardly moved because... The players had done such a good job of executing jobs that I was like, I don't think the vampires are really on to them. Like, I don't think they really know. There's there's an event that you guys don't know, which is how they initially got on to you that you guys have never discovered. Like, there's a reason why they know who you are. But then one day they got real explosive. Um, <laughs> and then, and then I was like, I just advanced the vampire mid by like two levels. And I was like, 
I'm a fucking pound you guys now. Like oh, you look, guys, the vampire blew, hit squad showed up like yeah, multiple yes. vampire hit squad showed up while they were separated. Yeah. We had done the, the classic split the party and then we all got hit. <laughs> yeah. Loads of fun. I, um, you burned. I, well, I, I went after some of them. I blew Bob's, not his hideaway, but his, um, the person he goes to for comfort. Oh, dead. I blew her up. Ooh. He was, bar. He, he, he was walking Ooh. home and this vampire looks at him from across the street and goes like this. And then it just blows out. That's brutal. And then he's caught in a city with like a heat five trying to get out of the city. In fact, the mission is called the vampire strike back. And it just, (laughs) they just like, they were like, they had just, how do you not call it that? They did such a good job. They were under the radar. And then they got to this one adventure and they were like, we blow up this pharmaceutical building. Then we go out to the CIA, this ex CIA black site. We burn that thing to the ground. And we leave the vampires a package because they were arriving by helicopter. They put a bomb on the landing zone in the farmland. Mm-hmm. So the helicopter came down. They blew that up. And I'm like, oh, you fuckers. Like, it's on now. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah we, we did a real nice job. The of vampires quiet for a made, while, but then <laughs> the vampires made one mistake. They didn't kill Bob. They didn't finish the job because <laughs> we were about to go on a vampire rampage. About to happen. <laughs> Yep. It was good. Yes. It was. It was definitely. It was definitely oh. good. But it was a. Um. I mean, it, the vampire mid is a form of clock, mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. time to just. I narratively, because mechanically, or procedurally, it didn't really. Is it a clock? I'm just curious. Well, it has a fixed number of steps. Correct. Uh, it increments by narrative, like you're uh, told to go up, like as the players progress through the conspiracy. You know, it was the thing that they move through, and that you didn't move. Like you can have the vampire mid react to them. Yeah. Well, that's what I was doing. Like the vampire mid says things like. Make them an offer, like at the lowest level, like make them oh, an offer to disappear. Never, it is a narrative. It's a narrative. It's kind of like a narrative front. Yeah. And then it tells you like at okay. the upper levels, like go kill one of their soul, like sources of, of oh, stability. Interesting. I, I forgot that that was on the, yeah. on the vampire. Well, the, there's the cost pyramid, right? Which is the conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. And the vampire mid, which is how they respond to oh, it is you a, attacking. That is, that's more of a clock front thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's our conversation about clocks and fronts redone for the modern day. Because it was a long time ago when we did it. Long yeah. time. We hope you enjoyed this. If you want to tell us anything about your experience with clocks or fronts, we'd love to hear about it in our Slack room for life. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at uh, Misdirected Mark. Cool. Let's move on to the conversation corner. Oh, yeah. We're doing one thing. Bob, do you want to go first? Thing. Yeah. So it's kind of a dual one thing. And no spoilers because not everybody's caught up. But today I caught up on Knives Out and Glass Onion. And Both good. what I have Fantastic. to say about this is uh, kudos, Ryan Johnson, for your writing on both of these films, because it is spot on. It's so good. So well done. The mysteries are good. The characters are amazing in both um, the performances in both films by the actors. Really, really good. The direction, the way that the film was cut with your nonlinear storytelling you get to a certain point, you go back and you tell from a slightly different perspective or give more information, all of that stuff. It's very, very well done. And yes, make more of these all the time. It makes me actually want to go back and rewatch all the David Suchet, Hercule Poirot mysteries because I love those. I love those mystery movies. They, they, all those back in the day used to do very similar things. It's so good. Yeah. And Benoit Blanc. That character in the way Daniel Craig plays it. Oh, it's a great character. Love the gentleman detective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so good. I honestly could see them doing, like, a dozen of these if Johnson and Craig want to keep doing them. Because you don't have to worry about any other cast. 
because you're bringing in new people all the time because yes. you're in different settings with different characters. Yep. Those two people, you know, write another one, direct another one. Daniel Craig, come back, please. Mm -hmm. And just keep doing I, it. I also need a Muppet mystery. Yep. It could be a Christmas special where something's lost for Christmas <clears throat> and then Benoit Blanc comes on to help find it. <laughs> like, that's all I need. I need that moment. Like, I would be 100% okay with that. So we could see Miss Piggy be awkwardly hitting on Benoit Blanc. Oh, yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Yes. Oh. To no avail. Yes. To no avail. To no avail. Yeah. The only complaint I have about the entire thing, one complaint, Glass Onion should not have been called a Knives Out mystery. Like, you should have called it a Benoit Blanc mystery. I yes. agree. Like, yes. yes. Knives Out was specifically the first movie, and it was called that for a reason, right? He even says the words Knives Out. People are all Knives some, Out. Yeah. Some marketing person probably thought it was a good idea. Somebody at the studio. It's a bad idea. But I get, that, that. I get that Knives Out is more recognizable. Do you, than, yeah. Do you know yeah. that I realized that it was because they said a Knives Out mystery? I'm like, oh, it's a Ryan Johnson movie. It's probably got Benoit Blanc in it. I'll probably go watch it. So, I mean, it worked on Yeah, me. the connection was made, but oh, it, yeah. it would have been better to call it a Benoit Blanc. Late in, 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 in the future, that's what it'll be called. Hopefully. We'll see. In the future, it's going to pan out that they'll just call it a Benoit, the Benoit Blanc Mysteries, and it'll just be... Mm -hmm. in, in DVD form, it'll be the Benoit Blanc Collection. Correct. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yes. That's And then I'll buy them. And then after yes. you do like, you know, a dozen movies and then Daniel Craig's too old to do anymore, he doesn't want to or whatever. Get somebody else. Then you do a series on like the BBC or whatever, oh, the Benoit Blanc please. Mysteries, like, and you have like please. a whole like, you know, 10 seasons of... I of, will go, I will <laughs> sign up for BritBox if they, if they start making them like on BBC, like... All right, let's move on. Jerry, yep. what's your one thing? My one thing is our NBA game this weekend, partially because I hadn't gamed in like three and a half weeks and we hadn't recorded that much. So it was nice to get together with everybody, hang out, see everybody after the holidays. It was a very, very good game in which we set about discovering some new clues and also deciding exactly what we were going to do to put a serious boot to the groin of the vampires. And we are about to, if things go well, and with my dice rolling, there's no guarantee they will go well. <laughs> and Nice Black Agents is not as forgiving as Cortex when I screw up. Grind, um, huh? Not not throat? Oh, no. If your throat of the vampire would oh, be more we're effective. We're going to hit these vamps right in the tenders. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. Because got to remember, fire cleanses all. So that worked really well. Uh-huh. And, you know, flamethrower to the crotch worked really well, too. <laughs> so, and so Bio that. weapons even better. Yep. And so we, we you know, if, if things go well, we have a very good chance of wiping out all vampires on Earth. Nice. Which, you know, will make up for the fact that they blew up Bob's Bob's safe house. Kill and his, all, and like his, God's and his friend. It could be good. It could, could go could go completely sideways as always. It's going to happen. If I have to ride the bomb down from the plane, like <laughs> slim fucking pickings, I'm going. It's <laughs> Wow, that's a hell of a reference you made, my friend. It's a yes. deep cut, kid. That is a deep cut. Go look you it up. Younger, you, young, well, you youngins are not going to know that reference. Just Google slim pickings riding a bomb. Yep. I'll tell you. All right, then. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, Chris. Mine, uh, I, I love Willow. It's not perfect, but I do it's love fun. watching it. Mm -hmm. It is a D and D party going on a quest. Yes, and that's pretty much all I got to say about and it. We're like, like four hours away from the season finale. I now. know. I can't wait to go watch it tonight at work. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic on my lunch break. I'm I looking forward don't think to I it. I saw last week's episode. Come to think of it, so it episode good. seven was pretty good. I actually enjoyed it. It's a weird episode, actually, but I really appreciated what they did. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, good, finally, we got the training montage with Willow. Like, I keep thinking, like, we now have a lot of fantasy adventure stories that we can like pull on and whatnot because mm -hmm. i love me some vox machina and season two is coming out on the 20th which i think this will be out by the time that starts releasing so i, I started that finally vox machina i love that cartoon it's so funny and like emotionally impactful at times i love cartoons that and tv shows that do that like oh this is hilarious this is oh you just gut punched me okay all right but uh when it comes to like those kind of shows like willow vox machina there's the the witcher blood origin not not perfect not I, it's like a B. It's fine. Like, I enjoyed it. There's a bunch of TV shows now that you can go watch that are like 
fantasy adventure stories and mm -hmm. enjoy them. Like uh, I'm enjoying this world that cool. we live in right now. Phil. Uh, I finished Kaleidoscope. Oh, I gotta go watch it. <laughs> I really liked it. <laughs> I will say this. I do not think that the order that I got Kaleidoscope in is my preferred order. I, and I think I could build an order that I would like better based on now that I know what all the episodes are. It is a classic heist. All the ways that a good heist occurs. Giancarlo Esposito is fucking amazing in it. I don't really know anything. He's not amazing. Correct. In, so, yeah. he, but he just he slays this one as well. Maybe people don't know how this um, series works. So this is a series from Netflix that has eight episodes. Each episode is named after a color and you can watch them in any order, although they say that you should watch the white episode last, which I will attest to. I think the white episode needs to be last or second to last in the layout of the episodes, but you can watch them in any order and you will get a slightly different viewing experience. And some people have made different orders. So like if you want to watch it chronologically, wait, 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 wait. stop, stop, stop. What we should do, the, the the other rest of us, I think we should all watch it. Yeah. And then I think we should write down the order that we think it should be in. Yeah, I'm fine with that. And then we should compare. Sure. That's fine. So I will tell you this. Is anybody like else a, are going to watch Kaleidoscope? I am. I'll right. watch it. Yeah. Okay. I think that's what we should do. Okay. I think that'd be fun. I think it'd be a great time. I'm so, going to watch Glass Onion first, but then I'll watch Kaleidoscope. Okay. So there's a, like, there are some published on the internet. So like you can watch it chronologically and mm -hmm. they just tell you the order of the episodes to watch chronologically, Don't tell us. which is fine. I'm not going to tell you, but it's also obvious once you start watching the sure. episodes. Yeah. Because each episode tells you when it, after it reveals the, like tells you the color, mm -hmm. it will tell you where in the chronology it fits. Makes sense. But then there's like another one. Somebody made a Tarantino version. So if you want it to be like a Tarantino movie, because, you know, like if you That's think about um, Reservoir Pulp, Dogs. Pulp Fiction, too. Yeah. Um, you know, where it's all out of sequence. You can order it that way. Hateful Eight has a bit of that going on. Yeah, I have I have to sit with a pencil and paper and figure out my order. But the order I got it from, from Netflix, I did not dislike. But I think that I would change one or two episodes and would have enjoyed it like even more. But each episode's each episode is very solid. And but knowing that they're all interchangeable, you have to just kind of go in open, like mind open. Like you're not going to understand everything in an episode. And you just have to understand that there's probably another episode that fills in things. Sure. Depending on where you are. That's okay. I have a strategy now in my head when I'm going to watch it in. So, okay. Yeah. I'm not going to tell anybody. But totally fun. Totally fun. Uh, well, and I mean, it looks good. Like the quality was really good. I thought the characters were excellent. And as a fan of heist movies, it tickled all my heist spots. Like it had all the things I needed in a heist, a twist, betrayals, like yeah. all of those things. I'm fascinated by the, the just the concept, too. The, the amount of, uh, of writing and editing yes. that has to be done to get it so that you can watch it in yep. any order. That's it's, it's neat. Um, just baffling to me. It's, <laughs> it's neat. Like it was, I'm, I finished it and I was like, oh, I'm so glad I just, I, I paused watching Lucifer like went over and watched all the episodes. And I was like, Oh, I'm so glad I did this. Like it, it's good. All right. Well, that's our episode for this week. One more thing. Go ahead. Not that he's going to listen, but a quick shout out to game designer, Ken height for surviving, getting shot <laughs> for surviving, <laughs> getting <Yep>. shot. <laughs> Whew, if you Get haven't well heard soon. the story, it's on Twitter, but Ken, um, thank God you're alive. Thank yes, God you're yeah. alive. Get better. Yep. Whew, that was a uh, harrowing story. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, that's the episode. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I hope you enjoyed this. By the way, let us know your kaleidoscope order, either on Twitter or on uh, the Mr. Active Mark Sly. We want to know what you yeah. order you watch them in. Cool, All right, cool. do some Patreon shout-outs, Bob. All do right, it. so do big it. thank yous to Ryan Megala, Heptilemma, Michael Draper, Cubano, Alice Kira, Jim Fitzpatrick, Brantley Harris, Steve Radabaugh, Rory McLeod, and Ninjabi. And thanks to everybody for listening. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, you can get more content like this at misdirectedmark.com, where we've got a bunch of podcast episodes. Whole bunches. On various shows going back whole bunches of years. It's a lot, guys. It's a lot. Um, and if it's not enough for you for what's on the website, uh, join up on the Patreon and uh, you'll get access to the secret stock room where we keep all of the episodes, <laughs> all of the episodes. Super secret stash. Yeah. If you want to, um, the infamous drunk episode. <laughs> that is an episode, right? Episode two. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that in episode 500. Episode two. That changed, that changed everything. I was like, well, time to get a format and like do a good job with the show. <laughs> anyway, um, you can find them all uh, back there um, as part of the Patreon. Um, that's patreon.com. That is soon. It'll probably be post 500, but yes. Yeah. Patreon.com slash MMP. All right. And this buttload of episodes includes some other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Bone Storm Obsidian, Handers Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Bonus Experience, the all new Thacko with Advantage. I don't know that it's new anymore. And amazing back episodes <laughs> of She's a Super Geek. If that still isn't enough content for you, I suggest checking out our sibling podcasts Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, GM Mastermind, and Mastering Dungeons. I got a question. Yes. Is like six months enough to not be new anymore? What number episode is that? 11. They just stopped being okay. 10. 10, 10 was, yeah. 10 was, that has was it, my arbitrary six months already. That was, that yeah. was my arbitrary number in my head was 10. You had 10 episodes. You're not new anymore. That means you're, that means you survived baby podcast steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're able to breathe on your own. Yeah. Like yeah, you're, you're not newborn podcast. Yeah. Now you're toddler podcast. Mm-hmm. And so toddler so casting. How, how do people leave us feedback, Phil? Uh, yeah. Do it the old fashioned email way. You can just send us an email to MMP at misdirectedmark.com. After their true. clocks fill up. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, see, you did my shtick. Yeah. Thanks. Somebody had to help Once your clock fills up, leave us some feedback. (laughs) Thanks. You can also hit us up on Twitter. The show in the network is at Misdirected Mark. He's Robert M. Everson. I don't know why I'm pointing because we're not filming this. GM Gerrymander. The Light 101. Where you get your smooth jazz all day long. And I'm DNA Phil. Hans, put the gun away. This is radio. (laughs) You remember that Patreon we mentioned just like about like 25, 30 seconds ago with uh, the buttload of episodes? Mm-hmm. If you want to support us and the other shows from Misdirected Mark Productions, you can do that at patreon.com slash MMP. We would greatly appreciate it. Your patronage is going to get you access to the after show podcast, our show notes, the Pamela Lounge podcast. And sometimes way back in the day, we used to do it. And hopefully sometime again in the future, there will be some special releases. Yeah. Like I, I did put in the Slack room, the CD cover that I made for Dungeon Delights from last week, <laughs> which has the boy did band you make cover. Them? I didn't make them. Yeah. Mid-Journey made them. Mid-Journey Chat made them. GPP came up with it, and then Mid-Journey made them. I Chris, just, Chris shepherded them across just, the line. I just I just photoshopped it into a cohesive thing. I had to put it on. A, I had to go find like a jewel case. It did look good. Put it it on did there, look good. And then put it on a fake table. Gotta love it. <laughs> oh, man. It's even got like the inside cover and like the CD. Like I put the picture, on, another different picture on the CD and cut it out. So it looked like it was like old school. Like when you would have like, oh, it doesn't quite match up when it's in the case anymore. <laughs> I did it on purpose. Awesome. I'll awesome. we'll have to add one more song now, which is Mmm Plays. Mm, please no <laughs> anyways if you want to see that it's in the slack room uh this has been a misdirected mark production which is the media arm of encoded designs i will say mic drop we out